Hi folks, I'm Alan Wharton. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 13th of September 2011. For newcomers, you should go into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. You'll find hundreds of audios for download for free. And hopefully, once you're finished, if you've still got any hair left in your heads, you'll be able to get the big picture of the system that runs the world. And it's vastly different from the one that you're trained to believe from childhood augmented by school and then taken over by media and then you're too busy working for a living chasing the carrot which never seems to come your way it's always that step ahead of you in the same stick of course the stick never shortens and you rush through your lives never really figuring out that you're run by a system a very precise very old system uh, that really is upgrading itself for the new the, the new world order, the new period, the new age, if you like, because it's many names all coming from the same source, in fact. So help yourself to the audios. You'll find the big corporations, the foundations. that are just the fronts for the big parallel government. That's what it really is, a parallel government. Thatcher called it that. And uh, some sort of Carol Quigley and other members of this big uh, society, the Council on Foreign Relations Group and the Royal Institute of International Affairs in the U.K., so they run basically the, the world, the direction the world goes. They have hundreds of think tanks working on different aspects of society and they even iron out the problems that the society will face when they implement the next chess move and they also know how to basically avoid it or take it over or even use it. They're very good at using movements and so on. So uh, help yourself, as I say, and you'll find lots of information there. Remember, too, you're the audience that bring me to you so you can help support me uh, in these uh, low cash flow times uh, by buying the books and discs I have at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And you'll find out how to do it right there. Uh, from the U.S., remember, you can still use a personal check or an international postal money order from your post office. You can also set, use PayPal. You'll see how to do it, the buttons on the site there. And uh, use the donation button and follow it with an email with name, address, and order, and I'll get it out to you. And across the world, you've got Western Union, MoneyGram, and you also have PayPal once again. Straight donations really, really are awfully welcome right now because people are in a slump. I know that the whole world's in a slump. They'll buy all kinds of things to try and save themselves, hoping to save themselves, but they, they won't, unfortunately, uh, just keep the people going, the few who are telling them the basic truth. And if I've, I said yesterday, too, you, you can't understand an enemy if you, if you purposely avoid uh, learning about the enemy and what it is and how big it is and how many of them there are and all of the big clubs that are joined together in their circles of friends, as they like to call it. Because, as I say, they map the future out like they've mapped out the last hundred years, actually, according to Quigley. And uh, in the 60s, when he wrote his book, Tragedy and Hope, and he also turned out the, a very good book, The Anglo-American Establishment, the guys who planned the future that we're living in today, including the wars, by the way. He goes into some of that. 
then you'll find out that the whole world is scripted in advance, including the massive changes that society, and upheavals that society will be forced to go through, not because of circumstances, not because of happenstance and just a, um, oddball chaos that, that comes out of the blue, but it's planned that way because even in wartime, you can get more done in five years of war. In a social system, the government takes it over, takes over everything, food, industry, everything, and subsidizes corporations in times of war. You get more done on a social level in five years of war than 50 years using propaganda in time of peace. And that's what Quigley said, too. So you have perpetual war now, and you're supposed to just ride through it and say, ooh, ah, look at that, look at this, look at that. A thousand stories every day. But you've got to keep your eyes on what's really happening. And be back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back and this is Cutting Through the Matrix because we're living in a system very much like the Matrix where there's lots of rooms, lots of levels, there's gatekeepers to every level and every big room in fact and each time you arrive in a room you think you've arrived totally and that's it, there's nothing left beyond that only to find out there's another back door that goes on and on and on and that's the system, it's compartmentalised they call it at the top Everything's compartmentalized. And many of the associations which work for this world order, while rewarding the players very, very well indeed, they keep them at their level of understanding. They don't have to uh, know anymore. And, you know, that's the way you get on in this real world. In governments or civil service bureaucracies or CIA, anything like that, or even the police force, it's knowing when not to ask questions. You just obey. Very, very Masonic, in fact, because... Masons are sworn to obey a superior officer's command and put all their moral reservations to the side completely. They mustn't interfere with it, and they must carry out that command immediately. So that's how the system is literally run. Those are the ones that get ahead in the world. The ones that say that's not quite right, or you ask some questions about it, well, they don't trust you quite as much, and you'll be left hanging at that level, or perhaps demoted or kicked out the door. But we're living through a world of globalization, and it's been like that for a long time. We've watched the World Trade Organization, those that can remember, when it was when they signed through the GATT Treaty, and how literally your governments, <laughs> every government that signed on to it, uh, guaranteed all manufacturing that if they moved off to China, they'd pay for their transportation and all their goods and tooling, set them up in China uh, using your tax money, and and pay them uh, even any losses they claimed that they incurred during the, the transit and set up, and even 10 years beyond, which could be renewed for another 10 years. And, well, who wouldn't jump at that, eh? Especially if you're going to get cheap labor in China, and China guaranteed them too, no taxes on their side for about 10 to 15 years. So everyone was approached by government reps to to just up and move. That was the deal to make China the manufacturer for the the planet. Now, those who designed this system, all your politicians, bureaucrats, all the the State Department especially, and um, the Foreign Affairs Department in other countries, they're the ones that deal with other countries, uh, diplomacy and uh, tradable goods, etc. So they were all in on this big act. They knew it was going to have a drastic effect back in the countries that were losing all the factories and all the work. 
And, uh, of course, they've set nothing up to replace it, if you've noticed. Well, that was the deal, as they bring you down. Because the U.S., especially, and Canada too, will eventually collapse into the very system they helped through the United Nations and NATO create across the world. That's the deal. As, as we bring them up to a higher standard, we plummet down. And we're supposed to meet in some happy medium in between. That's why we're still building hospitals in China, and China is outproducing every country on the planet right now and rolling in the dough. They've got more multi-billionaires uh, created every year than any other country. But that's the trade deal, you see. Anyway, there's nothing but uh, service economies. Now, Britain was the first one because Britain leads the charge, or, or London, I should say, leads the charge in most things which other countries copy. That's all part of the deal with this international interlocking CFR-type Royal Institute for International Affairs order that you live in. In fact, the the, 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 uh, Institute for, uh, the, the CFR has its own branch running the whole of Europe, the European Parliament. All the top members are members of the European International Affairs Group run by London too. And the bankers run it. That's who formed the Royal Institute of International Affairs in the first place. I'm not talking about your corner bankers. I'm talking about the guys who lend money, supposedly, to countries so they can print up cash and cause inflation, and then who end up buying the bonds at massive interest rates uh, from the great guys that they lent the cash to. It's a, a circle of, of intrigue indeed. Now, this article here is from the Council on Foreign Relations. Members of the outer party that writes the stuff for the general public, and they're allowed to say certain things, because under the Chatham House rules, uh, or the Pratt's rules in, in the U.S., Harold Pratt Building, where they hold their meetings, uh, they say that they must never discuss the topics, uh, definitely not the names of those involved in the, the, the inner circle meetings. But they're allowed to, to, to say some of the topics for the general public, and it's very vague always, it's never in detail, but it's just generalized stuff. And it says here, in this article here, on globalization, the effects of it. This is a recent article, they wrote many before it, because they knew they were going to bring in mass unemployment. It talks here about... Um, it's the same time if you scroll down this article, which I'll put up the link tonight for you at cuttingthroughthemedias.com. Many job opportunities in the U.S. are shifting away from the sectors that are experiencing the most growth and to those that are experiencing less. The result is growing disparities in income and employment across the U.S. economy with highly educated workers enjoying more opportunities and workers with less education facing declining employment prospects and stagnant incomes because they used to work in factories. A lot of folk worked in They don't like universities. It's just not for them. But they could be very good employees in manufacturing. The U.S. government must urgently develop a long-term policy. Well, the, the government's not supposed to be in the business of creating or hindering commerce or business, but of course they are <laughs> these days. And it says, uh, to address these distributional effects under structural underpinnings and restore competitiveness and growth to the U.S. economy. Now, you can go into the old books on economics and you'll find out why, and every country said this in their courses, why the U.S. really boomed ahead from the 1800s right through the 20th century, a good part of the 20th century. And it's because they did not have the massive bureaucracies and interference of agencies of the other established old countries in Europe, for instance. They just didn't have all of the paperwork, uh, all of the laws and rules to, to follow. They simply boomed ahead and made things happen. 
when a country or a government wants to bring you down, they simply create agencies and fees and fines for everything that you try to do until if you own even a store, half your day is working trying to uh, fill in forms for the government. That's what happened in Britain until there's very little private business left now. Now it says jobless cuts in the U.S. It says between 1990 and 2008, the number of employed workers in the U.S. grew from about 122 million to about 149 million. Now that's the ones that got work and a lot more didn't get work and a lot of them died off or retired too. Of the roughly 27 million jobs created during that period, 98%, 98% were in the so-called non-tradable sector of the economy. The sector that produces goods and services, service economy. You know, you buy pies and then you, you, a middleman gets some and you sell them at other places that are the outlets for the pies. You pass things around. Or you import stuff and pass them around. The service economy. And, and it's just, uh, and that must be consumed domestically. The largest employers in the U.S. non-tradable sector were the government. The largest employers. Well, it's 9-11 you see in a totalitarian system. And lots of special branches and forces and so on, all working within your government and spies and all the rest of it. With 22 million jobs in 2008. 22 million government jobs in 2008. And the healthcare industry with 16 million jobs in 2008 as well. Together, these two industries created 10 million new jobs between 1990 and 2008, or just under 40% of total additions. And then it says here that the retail, construction, and hotel restaurant industries also uh, contributed significantly to job growth. Again, service economies. Meanwhile, employment barely grew in the tradable sector of the U.S. economy, the sector that produces goods and services that can be consumed anywhere, such as manufactured products, engineering, and consulting services. That sector, which accounted for more than 34 million jobs in 1990, grew by a negligible 600,000 jobs between 1990 and 2008. So, it's a fairly lengthy little article, but I'll put it up and you can read it for yourselves. Because none of this is a surprise to to this guy, obviously, because he was in the meetings, I'm sure, uh, before they gave you the the World Trade Organization's GATT treaty and shipped all the jobs off. But that's what they give out to the public for the outer party. You see, there's always an inner party and an outer party. I'm also putting up a link tonight uh, to do with uh, uh, bankruptcies, store closings, and it's called uh, Daily Job Cuts Layoff News. Quite interesting to go over the states and see what's all closing down or has closed down or have decided they're going to close down or lay off. That's a very, very good site. Now, certain people in in every uh, generation, you know they're deemed uh, to be put up into a higher pedestal than their competitors in politics, etc. You just know who they are. Uh, And uh, in Canada, some of them never even get elected. They're disappointed. But anyway, in Australia, you've got the Fabian Society that's run Australia for many, many years. And the Fabian Society is uh, one of the hardline societies or parties, you might call it, that runs what they think is the far left. And that's what uh, uh, that's what really um, uh, professors have talked about before, that often the 
the Fabian Society, along with which works for the CFR and Royal Institute for International Affairs, which in the deal with the left wing, they were often mistaken for communists because you see the bankers set up the two wings when they, they created the Royal Institute of International Affairs. They created the, the ones that would do for their own class. You see the ones who do all the work, be up there in politics, hardline, uh, into the House of Lords or Senates in other countries, and. Um, and then they also give the one for the left wing, which is a hard Marxist-type agenda, because they love to bring in the one system comprising of the two parts. And the left wing brings in big government, uh, lots of rules, regulations, and uh, things which stymie the economy and really persecute the people on a lower level with all the rules, regulations. So that they work together. And Julia Gillard, or Gillard in Australia, has obviously been groomed and picked for this position now because, and it's interesting too that uh, the Marxists always said that uh, you always lie to the public to get into office. Once you're in, it doesn't matter what you do. Even Pierre Trudeau said that, and he was a communist. He was the leader of the Comintern Party that went over to, in 52 to the, to the Moscow Comintern meeting. And that was a communist international for young communists and so on. Uh, but And he said the same thing, once you get into power, you can do what you want. And he actually made a little speech about that, a little sly speech that some people missed when he did get into power by any means possible. So lying's very acceptable to the public, and if they start off that way before they're in, what do you think they're going to do once they are in? Back with more after this break. Cutting through the matrix and talking about uh, Australia and how Fabian societies have run it for a long time. The Fabians are also part of the Royal Institute for International Affairs, are as the as, as the right wing think tanks are as well. And go into the Fabian society, look at its history. It's quite fascinating. The players in it, and they started off uh, the whole thing for uh, not just women's rights, but look to get them into the workforce, etc. And it literally doubled the tax base. The big boys aren't stupid. Uh, but uh, here's uh, Julia Gillard. I'll call her Gillard instead of Gillard. I'm not sure which you call her. I'm sure she's been called lots of things. Anyway, it says here that she's been chosen to push uh, the carbon taxes, to be the first one big one to push the carbon taxes in what's called the Commonwealth, the British Commonwealth Nations. And, of course, that was London's job to tell her that, to do that, of course. And she's a very ambitious lady. And she also had a visit recently from uh, the group at the, I think it was the, the, the group at the, uh, from the, the United Nations to do with the weather, uh, you know, changeable weather, they call it. Uh, uh, and this is what really she, she's about. She's, she's groomed to be a star, regardless of the chaos she creates in the, in the meantime. Now, they wanted to initially hit the big comp- companies that they claim are producing carbon. But believe you me, uh, if you read through all the stuff that's been published on this, they want to bring it down to the individual. This is to eventually literally monitor and tax the individual. As I said before, all your disposable income will go to pay taxes and fees and fines and so on for all energy and the carbon output. And it says here, Australian Prime Minister Julia Gillard is presented for her bill for controversial carbon tax to Parliament. The legislation would force about 500 the biggest polluters to pay for each tonne of carbon dioxide they emit. They've actually got scales for it. It's quite interesting. You breathe on it and it sinks. 
you know, clang, you know, $10,000. The tax is central to the government's strategy to combat climate change. That's, you know, changeable weather. But the opposition says it will cause job losses and raise the cost of living. Thousands of Australians have protested against the bill, accusing Ms. Gillard of lying before last year's election. Well, that's what politicians do. Ms. Gillard made a pledge during last year's federal election not to introduce a carbon tax. Well, they all lie. I mean, we had two prime ministers in succession in Canada that promised not to go ahead with a NAFTA deal because it would destroy Canada. But each one, one after the other, years apart, when they, they actually got in, within two weeks they changed their minds completely. And in the news headline said, oh, Cretien is now the champion of NAFTA. And I think Mulroney did the same. The proposed tax was drawn up after Ms. Gillard failed to win an overall majority in Parliament in the polls and had to rely on the support of Australian Greens. The bills will undergo a month of consideration before a final vote on 12th of October. By the way, uh, the average politician has got two minutes uh, exactly to speak on it. That's it. It's to be rammed through. It's, it's, it's a joke. Anyway, that's Australia. It's going to be hammered with uh, to be an example to us all. And remember, all taxes on corporations are passed on to the consumer at the bottom. You know that yourself. We all know that. Same with any kind of taxes, it goes the same way. And meanwhile, the big corporations will probably do as the Europeans did. The EU Parliament gave the European corporations millions of dollars worth each in tradable taxes or carbon credits to get them all started. Men they made profits off it. The only people who got suckered were the public. Well, there's nothing new in that at all, is there? But anyway, she says that proposed carbon tax, 500 companies affected, agriculture, forestry and land are exempt because they're all carbon sinks, of course. Uh, unless you've got some hay hanging outside, that's a pollutant, they claim. Compensation for polluters, uh, market-based trading scheme kicks in 2015. So they want to trade the carbon uh, credits, etc., and they want to cut 159 million tonnes of CO2 by 2020. And I understand they've revived uh, Merlin the Magician to figure out how it's done. Because that's really, it's all bogus and utter, utter rot. But it's a control mechanism. That's what it's really for. I think it was Anne McClelland was in the Canadian government a few years ago. And I've got, I've mentioned the different, different ones who let it out of the bag with the carbon taxes and so on were all for and global warming. And she says, well, it doesn't matter even if global warming is all a scam, it will bring equality to the world. See, all the cash, the extra cash they're going to garnish off all the public will be used to to throw across third world countries, which will get put into the international corporations that have branches in those countries, not to the public, you understand. Never happens that way. But that's the, that's the nonsense we travel through. So there she admitted it right away. Even if it's all bogus, it'll bring equality, which is the big goal. It's amazing these guys to equality. You notice all these Marxists end up incredibly stinking rich. Have you noticed that? I, I was looking the other day at uh, Barroso. I'll put that link up too, at cuttingthroughmarriage.com, where you'll hear him talk about uh, the European Parliament, and he calls it an empire. We should really start looking at like it, what it really is. It's an empire, he says. It had everything on except the, the you know, the, the oak leaves on his head. Now, it, I also put a link up too where you'll see him as a young student, a Marxist student. He, he called himself Maoist at the time, but Marxist student. Uh, and I thought to myself, these are the guys that push hard left and will all be the same, and here they are with multi-millions of dollars at the top. See, communism is an awful profitable thing if you, if you are chosen to get up to the top, you know. Lots of cash and loot and perks. Back with more after this break. 
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix and talking about really left-wing, right-wing. Remember, they're always attached to the same bird. They can't fly without the two wings. And generally, they've got a, a shield over the, the, the body, so you can't really see who's behind it or who's sneaking around in there. And that's not by coincidence either. But anyway, they've always said at the top that you've got to grab the children young and to get any indoctrination, any kind of indoctrination into their minds. And Jesuits have said it, others have said it, um, behavioral scientists have said the same thing. Get them before the age of seven, and you can make them into anything that you want them to be. They'll believe it. And in fact, they'll have an, almost an impossible time trying to discard the, 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 the imprinting on their minds that was put into them. Especially when they're watching lots of videos that where they use uh, a kind of psychodrama, in a sense, and, and psychological techniques with neurolinguistics, psycholinguistics, in a sense, uh, with music in the background. And, and when the music, when something really horrible happens, a little animal gets killed, you hear the dum 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 dum, and, and generally a woman's voice over the background that hypnotizes you, and that, that imprints on the mind. So general advertising uses that too. So you should be very careful when you're being manipulated by, by music. Very powerful, very potent thing. But anyway, you've got to grab them young. And here's an article from Toronto, because it's, it'll go nationwide and maybe the, if they've not got it in the States already. And I think they actually have courses like this in the States and elsewhere. Toronto high school students are being encouraged to wreak environmental havoc on imaginary populations with the goal of learning more about adapting to changes in the weather or they call it climate change. A new course called Studying Climate Change, Health and Adaptation began as a workshop for high school students, but is now part of the curriculum. It was created by Brad Bass, an Environment Canada's climate scientist, so he makes his money off the bogus nonsense, who works out of the University of Toronto's Centre for Environment. The course was built around a computer program, and you know, these computer programs will always give you scary scenarios. He developed for cobweb, this is what they're calling it, cobweb, for complexity and organised behaviour within environmental bounds. It's a big study, of course, too, because these children will grow up with more restrictions on them than any previous generation. The program allows students to create a population living in a certain environment and then change that environment to see how the population reacts over a period of time. For example, students can create an extreme heat event in a large city with limited cooling centers. They can adjust the age and keep makeup of the population and see what happens to them during the hot spell. Using the program, students can watch a week-long scenario progress over a matter of minutes or seconds. Cobweb allows them to do what I would call what-if scenarios. That's very much like what the government does on everything, their think tanks. You know, what-if and known unknowns and known knowns and unknown knowns and all that stuff that we've heard before coming from the top of government. Explain Brass, Bass, adding, we have lots of questions. What if we do this or what if we do that? And a computer model helps anybody explore that questions. So it's a kind of make-believe thing, but it's not, it won't be presented that way uh, as to get the idea of, uh, oh, we're, oh, we're always in crisis where anything could happen. You know, a comet could come in and hit you any minute and, and stuff like that, you see. The Toronto District School Board and, and Bass developed a course module with the idea of making the material available to school boards across the country. We're going to put it up on our website. It will be available as a PDF to any school in the country, to any school in the world for that matter. 
says uh, Stefan Bibler. Sounds megalomaniac there, isn't it? Science and Technology Program Coordinator for the Toronto District School Board. So they're all excited about the climate change lesson plan and grade 12 geography teacher at Toronto's Royal College helped design it. He also asked Bass to conduct a workshop, workshop with his students. Uh, it's a sad thing, isn't it, when they, they grab youngsters and make sure that the next generation growing up already uh, will flow into it and adapt. They've already been adapted in school and they'll think you're crazy if you say, well, you know, technically the weather goes up and down like a yo-yo and it always has. Always has. It did it too long before. They've gone up at their end of life extinctions. And um, I think Prince Charles made some uh, comment about that a week ago in some speech that his scriptwriter made for him. And you understand there's so many uh, end of life ex- uh, extinctions. We don't even know them all, but they put five down, I think. Almost like the five root races of masonry, you know, higher masonry. And the first few, there's no men around at the time, no humans around, nothing to do with what they did, lighting little fires and things. But maybe it was all that CO2 from these big big um, lizards and stuff that walked across the planet. Eh? Who knows? But anyway, they're blaming carbon dioxide now because, you see, you're a carbon-based life form. And if you allow them to put laws and restrictions over you, you are an abject slave. You're a, a life form based on carbon-based you understand what they're doing? They're owning you. They're owning you with your consent. That's what they're doing. Every other creature gives off it too. Gives it off too. They're paying nothing. And since you're another creature, according to them, you're another animal, that's what they say, well, you have the right of every other animal to go around freely and breathe as much as you want and consume as much as you want to, to survive. That's the law of nature. But, of course, they won't allow us to do all of that. And another article, too, before we go to the callers, is to do with, again, poverty. Record poverty last year's household income dips. And it says that Washington, a record number of people were in poverty last year's households saw their income decrease. According to data from the Census Bureau today, demonstrating the weakness of the economy even after the official end of the recession. 46.2 million people in poverty in 2010 was the most for the 52 years that estimates have been published. And the number of people in poverty rose for the fourth consecutive year as the poverty rate climbed to 15.1%, the highest since 1993, and up from 14.3% in 2009. Meanwhile, real median household income in 2010 was 49,000, but before 9,500 roughly, down 2.3% from the prior year and below pre-recession levels. And so I'll put that up too and you can have a little deco. Deco is another little uh, word for like a look or a kick. We kick at that for yourselves. Not that you don't know it. I'm sure a lot of you are already suffering from it. There's no doubt about that. And we'll see who's on the list now for, for callers. I have to refresh the site here. It's just going now. Uh, there's Carlton in New York. Are you there, Carlton? Hey, Mr. Watt, how you doing? Not too bad at all. All right. Um, as you know, um, everything was going on in New York for the 10th anniversary of 9-11. Yeah. And Friday, well, you know I'm involved with mm-hmm. a group um, in the city here, but Friday we actually um, had a few protests going on around the city. We hit the CFR. We actually went to the U.N., Right? Mm-hmm. 
Now, this you were touching on pretty much Friday and yesterday. Um, we, we are international, mm-hmm. and yeah. Friday we got a smack in the face on that because we actually we went through the procedures and all that, got sound permits and all that good stuff, right? And of course, you know, in the United States, we got the free speech zones. So when we left the CFR. And we had we were there with no consequence. The police were pretty cool. We went to the UN. Mm-hmm. When we went to the UN, the cops said they had a spot down the street for us, but we're supposed to have freedom of assembly. So we went in front of the UN. Yeah. And we were there. We set up, and then eventually the cops came, and they were like, "We had this this spot set up for you down the street." But they actually said, and we got this on camera, that they actually said that this is international sidewalk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's and right. And then later on, when we actually, we fought them a little bit when we actually moved, cause, you know. But when we talked to them again, the cop actually told me, he was like, I didn't say that. Mm-hmm. I was like, really? Like, you're just going to lie to me in my face? And that's, like, the thing that makes me mad about all of this the most is that you talk to me like I'm an idiot. Yeah. Tell me one thing and you tell me something else, and that's what makes me angry. Like, don't try to play me for no fool. I'm not the smartest man in the world, but I'm sure not an idiot. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, just to anybody who didn't know, we are international, if you haven't already figured it out. That's right. And also, when the G20 was in Toronto, uh, it's up there on YouTube, where you hear the cops telling protesters they can't cross this particular area or goes so many feet towards the fence that they, they, they constructed because it was inter, it was now international territory. Same thing. They can make anything international by some whim, uh, or some judge in the sky somewhere. I don't know where it comes from, but this is what, this is a new tactic they're using. But it is, it's true that the Rockefeller family donated that land to uh, the United Nations for its construction. Now, the public were never con- uh, con- uh, involved in it at all. They were never even uh, given the right to vote, should they even have a United Nations. And they plonked the thing in New York there. Uh, it, it used to be a, a, a slaughterhouse, for, it was a kosher slaughterhouse, one of the largest really in the States. And um, so it, had, it was well bloodied for its, for its, its purpose, of course, Yuri. And, and so they built the thing there. So why is an international building... How can it have sovereign status in the middle of a country? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, were any Americans consulted? Well, no. Yeah. And and it was actually people actually outside of the UN, like at the at a bus stop, and they were watching. But it's like these people don't even know what the heck is going on either that, or they actually were actually working in the UN in some capacity. I don't know. Yes. But yeah. I mean, just. On the fact of the U, the um, whole 9/11 anniversary, like they actually weren't even letting people who had on investigate 9/11 shirts near the memorial on Sunday. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they, it was total lockdown this weekend. But that's really all I had to say. Yeah, and well, I'll holler back at you. At least you're trying, and that's the the main thing. Yeah. Right. Thanks for Take calling. Take it easy now. You too. Alright. And that's the key to it. You got to try, even though it's awfully frustrating, because you find nothing as, as, as it appears to be uh, when you go to buildings and then there's sovereign status. And, of course, under sovereign status, they can 
make their own rules if you, if you try and enter that doorway or whatever and uh, and someone kick you or arrest you even interesting to see them arresting people who's going to arrest you under whose law international law or is it going to be the UN's law? Uh, is it is a sovereign little nation there or what? It, nothing's explained to us, but we don't need, most folk don't need to have anything explained. They, they just accept it. Well, it's always been there, and I guess it's quite natural. And that's how it is. But uh, there's no doubt about it. Um, the UN literally has every uh, an equivalent of every department you have in the U.S. federal government. It has all kinds, and the states too. It has planning departments, all kinds of departments, and that's where all your laws and regulations really come from to do with you. Now, there's Dave in Arizona there too. You're there, Dave. Hello, Dave. Hey, how are you? I'm doing okay. Hanging in. Uh, I understand that basically now the United States is a corporate fascist state based on the fact that the people don't want wars and we have multiple wars and people don't want the bailouts and they do the bailouts anyway. So obviously the corporations are running the country and owning the politicians. I guess the other question I have for you, because I understand the corporate corporate control, do these NGO groups represent the corporations also? Absolutely, yep. The, 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 the NGOs, you understand that the tactic that they use is always to help the poor, generally it's the poor in other countries, but it's not really that at all. It's to bring in this same system of bureaucracies across other countries. That's really what it's about. And uh, if, you, if you notice too, the NGOs or even the green ones are awful particular about who they protest. And lots, lots, of, lots of ones, big ones, they will not protest. You don't see the mass marches against the wars going on in the streets. These are the guys who supposedly do it at one time. Uh, but no, they, they're very selective. So they get orders from above. And the NGOs are not little charities walking around with a tin can door to door. They have full-time employees at the top with their own office buildings and their skyscrapers. Uh, uh, all their the computer stuff is, is supplied to them. Their trained technicians are supplied to them. They have uh, pensions. They have fantastic wages. You understand, a non-governmental organization, all you do is set up a board. Uh, and uh, and then, of course, you say we're non-profits. You get your little ticket from the government. And then you can award the, the cash that comes in as salaries to your CEO of it and, and second in command. You can give them as much as you want, $100,000, $200,000 a year. doesn't matter. There's no limit into what you can actually give them. So they're riding high. These are professional people who literally leave university and get the little wink and the nod. And they're in there like a shot. And they can spend their whole lives in there. So it's, it's actually like a parallel. They're all part of the parallel government along with the corporations. Now, the corporations, as Carl Quigley said, will be the new, uh, they'll act like the feudal overlords in this new feudal corporate system. And that's what you're in already. You're in it already. It's been here for quite some time. And governments are almost secondary now because uh, once uh, you have to go into politics, out of politics, into the, into the foundations, uh, the parallel government, and back and forth, back and forth. We see this happening with politicians all the time. It's all one system now, but it's, but it's private. Well, yeah, because it's obvious that the corporations are, I mean, the control factor is basically out of the closet. Where at yes. one time here in America, they tried to hide the control, and now they're open about it. Yes. Uh, Rockefeller himself, uh, he did say that, that, that uh, he made his, his famous little speech, and it's up on the, the net somewhere. I might find it. I don't know. But uh, for tonight. And, but he said that um, he said it was far preferable 
that the world be run by bankers and, and big business corporations rather than leave self-determination to the individual sovereign nations. That's what he said. That was, I think, after the same speech he gave about, uh, he's often accused of being a communist, a fascist, this, and then he said it's for world sovereignty, world, it's for the world globalism. He says, if I'm accused of all these things, then I am guilty and quite proud of it. So he's been working constantly uh, his whole life, as were his family, his relatives before him, to bring in this corporate structure. And, of course, the Rockefellers were placed in America by others that placed bankers, too, and other people that would definitely take over the whole economy. So, you know, is the ultimate goal, then, to, like, basically turn the U.S. into Mexico? Ultimately, it will be like that. If you, re- if you just put it together, the, the thing is to put pieces together. And when you get the think tank for NATO and the think tank for the U.S. military, I've got them both in the archive section at Cutting Through the Matrix. You should read them. Uh, projecting for the next 40 years or so, uh, they, they both said uh, that um, eventually, as the population's going to die away, they have this big thing that will suddenly drop in population. They're quite right, because they've given us all cancers, by the way. Uh, but they, they said eventually there'll be a few very high-tech city-states left. America will no longer be America. Uh, even across Europe, it will no longer be Mr. Barroso's empire. It'll be uh, a few high-tech very high-tech city-states uh, with uh, important, necessary people to maintain that city-state. In other words, they don't need uh, thousands or millions of laboring classes or semi-skilled workers, etc. So this is the future they envisage. Once, once the countries melt away, uh, not only that, they said that even the global government system will only be temporary before the city-states will, will, will rise to their true, true prominence, uh, a few of them across the globe. Now, these are their top think tanks for the military. But uh, hold on, I'm back after this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix. Just talking to Dave from Arizona. And, and how you must really connect things together. That's, that's the whole key to everything, is connecting the, the different parts of all of this to, to show you the whole, to show you what it's all really about, trying to get hung up on what they're doing to us today. Tomorrow there'll be a, a thousand more articles across the net, which they control too, to make sure they're out there, to distract you and keep you angry or emotionally upset with what I've done to this poor soul and that poor soul, etc., that that's the that's side effects of this big machine rolling ahead. All of the things you see, cops attacking people and so on, that's the side effects of it. And you can't get stuck on that. You've got to see the big machine above it and, and where it's supposed to go. But, uh, yeah, when your top think tanks for the military, and I'll put the links up tonight again, uh, actually say that, that eventually you'll be stuck in regions and that the population is to drastically fall going up to the year 2040 and a massive decline even in China by the year 2045-50. They didn't say why it's going to decline, but I read an article the other day where the World Health Organization uh, said the big scare now is, oh, the up-and-coming countries, the third world countries, now that money's flowing in, etc., there's going to be a massive cancer problem. That's what they said. Well, of course there is, because, you see, they've already been in with their injections, inoculations, their vaccines to make sure... SV40. Yeah, that's right. So, oh, much, much more than that. They're even more developed now. Uh, 
sterilization, of course, with injections, and the food, yeah, that will also sterilize them. And Rockefeller also has his golden rice out that way now, and that, that was studied by the UN, and they actually admitted in an article that it definitely it cuts back on the sperm count of males, makes them less reproductive. So we're getting played with all the time on a massive scale. But tie it all together, and you can see why they're talking about the, 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 the lovely golden age they hope to have by around the year 2050 with their, 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 their big domed cities, city-states, basically, with a, a, a small essential population. In other words, all the useless eaters from the old age, the old industrial age, etc., will be gone. That's what they're really telling you. Uh, Alan, do you think it'll be like soil green where... Basically, you reach the age of 65 or 70 and they just kill you off? They're, they've already, I've got articles here, and I've been reading them over the years, but there's articles here where they're bringing in uh, euthanasia in different countries. And some of them, are, when you see it getting pushed and suggested by big people, this is an agenda. This is an agenda. It's just not what they think themselves. It's a coordinated agenda. And it could be across the whole world, maybe 10 different people from different countries saying the same things at the same time. That's when you know they're all working together through repetition, just like weapons of mass destruction. If you think about it, I mean, everything you say makes perfect sense because basically here in the States, and I'm sure it's like this in a lot of places, but they make it almost impossible or very uncomfortable to travel if you look at the TSA and what's going on there. And... Basically, that's why they're talking about, you know, lack of resources and so forth, and then that way they can do their population scheme, you know, because they say, well, there's not enough resources, so we got to get rid of so many people. Also, the thing is, too, if you go through the states that allow uh, and the countries that allow the, the uh, euthanasia and read through their, their charters, they also have stuck in there that people... If they're so depressed and fed up with life, they should be allowed to go in and, and end it too. Now, if you, we're going through 40 years of, tr- of turmoil, we're already in it, at the beginnings of it. It's get a lot worse. They can make life such, such a hell that people will eventually start flocking in and they'll say, I've had enough, I've had enough. They've nothing to look forward to except the same misery. Don't give up. Yep, that's it. That's their agenda. I'm not kidding. Uh, thanks a lot, Alan. Thanks for calling. Remember, folks, help buy the books and discs for, that I got for sale at cuttingthroughmates.com. Donate as well. And I've got a blue two monitors, one computer, and a battery backup. All in one week. That was it. And I'm already scraping along. It's up to you. I can go one way or another, whichever. From Hamish, myself, from Ontario, Canada, it's good night. And your God or your God's go with you.